Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer. I'm Koel. And I'm Kenna. Last time I checked. into it yeah i think we should just jump into it holiday season has been hectic for everyone we need a little bit of case i have (laughs) two guesses of who i think you're doing but i'm gonna keep them to myself and if i'm right i will be honest and tell you but if i'm not right then of course i'll also be honest and tell you we are gonna be talking about herman webster mudget i was way off (laughs) way off (laughs) I thought it was either Jack the Ripper or H.H. Holmes. That's what I thought you were going to do, one of those two, because you said it was old-timey. It it is old-timey, but this is Herman Munster Webster Mudgett. Okay. He was born May 16th, 1861 in Gilmanton, New Hampshire, to parents Levi Horton Mudgett and Theodette Page Price. Theodette. Theodette. I thought that was so interesting. They were each some of the first American-born descendants of English immigrants in this particular area of New Hampshire, which I thought was really interesting. He was the middle child of five children that the couple would have. Mm -hmm. Herman had an older sister, Ellen, an older brother, Arthur, then Herman, then a younger brother, Henry, and younger sister, Mary. So, big family. Why would they do, like, two H's and then, like, all different letters? I feel like they should have done, like, a theme or, like, all different... (laughs) Henry and Herman. Yeah, Henry and Herman, right? Yeah, they're too close. And then Ellen, as I was writing it, I was like, Ellen and then Helen. And I was like, wait, no, it's Mary. (laughs) Ellen and Helen. Ellen and Helen and Arthur. Ellen, Mary, Arthur. The, yeah, Ellen, Arthur, Herman, Henry, Mary. That's so weird. Why would you make, okay, I don't know. Maybe were they twins? Are they all biblical? It didn't give me the ages, which I thought was weird, because I really wanted to know the age, like, at least, because I always wonder about that, how close they are in age. Horton, the father, was from a family of farmers, so he actually inherited, what? Horton, here's a who. I know, (laughs) it was Horton. Horton, the father, was from a family of farmers. He inherited the trade and would also paint houses. He was actually really successful at it, so the kids were born into a pretty privileged environment. Which is nice to hear, especially for five kids. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you have the means, right? Right. Theodate, who was a former school teacher, would stay at home with the kids, raising all five of them in a traditionally Methodist home. Shit, I mean, that's like five extra full-time jobs, <laughs> raising five kids. Five kids. Yeah. And then you can teach all of them. Yeah, of course. It's fine. <laughs> she was described as a rather cold and distant woman, however. Oh, no. She would often mentally and emotionally abuse the children. I, like forgot for a second that we were on it like a true crime podcast and i was like this seems like the perfect american family like this is a nice story it's really nice <laughs> they're just a really nice family <laughs> likewise herman um herman's father was actually an alcoholic he would hit the children and was considered to be a very strict disciplinarian well it was nice while it lasted surprise surprise yeah we're talking about true crime here. it was like four minutes into the podcast it's already like where's the shit here we is. already know his name so yeah. <laughs> You know, it's not going to be good for Herman. (laughs) In one instance, Horton had actually soaked rags in kerosene and began to hold them over one of the children's mouths to keep them from crying. No. Isn't that awful? That's terrible. Like, all those fumes? Like, that's, like, really dangerous. Oh, my God. stop crying. Don't breathe. Let's just... Die. Like, (laughs) horrific. Oh, my God. I'm not laughing because it's funny. That's just, like... No, you Wild. laugh at the ridiculousness. Yeah. You don't laugh because it's funny. You laugh because it's so... It's such Out a, of this world. Yeah. Like, who thinks to do that? Yeah. He would also use starvation as a form of discipline, and he would also force the children to isolate as a form of punishment, specifically in the attic. Oh my gosh. Herman loved to escape reality, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually known to read a lot. He read a lot of Edgar Allan Poe and Jules Verne. So he was really um, just, like, kind of otherworldly, like, when it came to his escape. Yeah, it almost seems like he's trying to, like, throw himself into, like, the world of these books. And, of course, this is before Netflix and all that (laughs) that good stuff, so he's using novels. That makes sense. He also recollected around this time, 
that he had decided to leave the house as often as possible and would spend hours at a time in a forested area by the house. Mm -hmm. Herman would spend so much time in the woods, in fact, that he actually began to um, experiment with different ways to capture animals. Okay. And sometimes torture them, but most often releasing them. Not okay. But again, it's a prelude, right? And the triad that we've talked about. Right. One of the three. Despite his home life, however, Herman was a bright kid, as you see. He would do well in school. However, it was mostly the source of his bullying while he was in school. They made fun of him for having good grades, which is, like, the stupidest thing you can make fun of somebody for. (laughs) (laughs) You're smart. (laughs) Like, in 21 Jump Street, when he's like, yeah, rule number one of high school, don't try at anything. Rule number two, make fun of people who do try. (laughs) And then then he goes and he's like, oh, he's studying. Look at the nerd. Look at the nerd. Yeah, exactly. It's the worst thing you can bully someone over is being smart like, and really? doing well. Yeah, like, good for you. Like, you're success. You're going to be successful later in life, but I'm not. Um, he was a little weird, though, and he also had a wonky eye. So maybe that's another wow. reason why they made fun of no, him. No, that's so awful. Poor Ugh. thing. Like, poor kid, you know. I just think of this kid. meek child. One time when Herman was walking through the small town, a group of schoolmates had spotted him and proceeded to push Herman inside of a local doctor's office. So during the day, this doctor's office was unlocked. It was probably lunchtime, something like that. Okay. The doctor's office was unlocked. Also, this is a very small town, and yeah. it's in the late 1800s. Yeah, whatever. So Herman had actually expressed to a lot of schoolmates that he hated this doctor's office. He hated walking by it because... It actually had, like, a real-life skeleton hanging, like, as part of, you know... Anatomy. Anatomy and medical shit the way that it was then. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a real skeleton. And he had always freaked out every time he walked by it. He had always said that it made him really uncomfortable. So these school kids pushed him into the doctor's office and forced him to lay on the ground <gasps> with the skeleton on top of him. Oh, hell no. Oh, and hell no. They placed the skeleton's hands over his face oh hell no oh hell no i would freak out isn't that gross i would freak the fuck out i don't blame him and that's fucked up because they're literally getting to like the root of his fear like that is so fucked up he's terrified of it but he did say the longer that he laid there the more comfortable that he got and he later actually credited this instance as one of the reasons he overcame his fear of death no and furthering his interest in studying anatomy and becoming a doctor and much else. A doctor, I'm assuming. <laughs> he later said about the incident, quote, It was a wicked and dangerous thing to do of a child of tender years and health, but it proved a heroic method of treatment, designed ultimately to cure me of my fears, and to inculcate in me, first, a strong feeling of curiosity, and later, a desire to learn, which resulted years afterwards in my adopting medicine as a profession. Okay, so... I don't know this case, but it kind of seems like he's like, okay, yeah, like, this is the reason why I became a doctor, but it also seems like he's going to use that as, like, an excuse for, like, what he does later. Like, oh, yeah, well, they bullied me and, like, made me not afraid of death, so, like, I just killed people. So I just, (laughs) like, I kind of see that this is where that's going. I might be wrong. Well, I mean, we're here for a reason. Uh, (laughs) Heightening his curiosity, Herman began to experiment even further with animals and now began killing them and dissecting them, um... And he started calling them his surgeries that he was performing. Ugh, and how old was he? Um, at this time, I think he's about 10. Really? 9, 10. Yeah. Yikes. So just to give everybody an idea, medicine around this time was actually booming. Um, the first clinical trials to treat malaria were performed in 1860s. Mm-hmm. The company Bayer would purchase aspirin after its invention in the late 1890s, and nitrous oxide was introduced with into regular procedures by the 1870s. Oh. So this is like everything is booming as far as the medical community. Yeah. Yeah. We just, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) With all these medical advances around Herman, he was really dedicating himself to the idea that he would become a doctor someday. He would get his hands on as many medical journals as possible, researching as much as he could about various surgeries or treatments. He would essentially perfect his craft on his animal patients and became very steady with a blade when cutting and dissecting, as well as skinning the animals. Okay, like, that's cool and all, but, like, do it legally. Don't just, like, experiment. I mean, I guess back then it probably wasn't <laughs> illegal to kill animals, to, Yeah, you know, to kill but... a rabbit, not on a farm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess so, but still, that's kind of fucked up. Like, do it humanely. Like, 
go to school for it. I mean, when you can, and then use cadavers, like people that donate their bodies on purpose for these things, you know? But don't you know that he laid with a skeleton and that's why he wants to be a doctor? Oh, he just lays with the dead? (laughs) Sounds like Don't Man Gacy. (laughs) Just crawl up into this coffin real quick. When Herman was just 11 years old, he witnessed a friend fall to his death after the boys were playing in an abandoned building. Mm-mm. Although it was never confirmed, speculation grew in the town that Herman was the one to push the boy to his death. Herman denied this ever happened, but did say that the event weighed on him mentally and carried and he carried it for the rest of his life. It's kind of hard because in general, like, it's really difficult to determine, like, whether or not someone was pushed or someone jumped because it's, like, the same trajectory and the fact that this was, like, so long ago, like, who knows? Like, he's the only one that knows the real truth as to what happened, like, if it was an accident, or if it was on purpose, or if he did it himself. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Doing this whole case, there was a lot of, like, chisme, that it was like, is this true? Is this not true? Not confirmed? Could be confirmed. Like, (laughs) there was a lot of that. Besides all of this, Herman being as smart as he was, he graduated high school by age 16 Hmm. from Philip Exeter Academy, which is ancient, by the way, and it's still around, and everybody should Google it, because it's weird. He soon after began teaching in various areas around his small town, and around this time, Herman had actually gained a lot of distance from his family. He began taking care of himself. He began to dress very nicely, groom himself well, and uh, just overall taking more pride in his looks. So it's no surprise that he eventually met a woman by the name of Clara Lovering. And shortly after their meeting, the two eloped without anyone's knowledge in the summer of 1878 where the couple were just 17 years old. Oh my gosh, they eloped? They eloped at 17. Wow. And it I'd just reminds... <laughs> I'd be pissed. I would too. You're like, thanks for the fucking invite. Well, you know, he hates his family, so... <laughs> yeah, or at least his parents. But yeah, just another one of those instances where you see somebody marrying somebody very quickly. Yeah, very impulsive. Very yes. impulsive. I'm sure she knows all about his animal abuse and torture as well. Totally. I'm sure he told her everything. Yeah. yeah. And about the kerosene rags. Yeah, of course. Soon after they got married, they welcomed a baby boy just seven months later. Do the math. Oh, that's really interesting. So she got pregnant, like, right away, and they were like, let's go get married so that no one gets mad. Clara's father was actually a well-known figure around their town of Alton, so that may explain why they got married in a rush. Yeah, I can see that. So, yes, that was their son, Robert Lovering Mudgett. That was their son. Ring a bell? It does not. Okay, good. It shouldn't. Um, <laughs> he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He's fine. I think he became a lawyer. Um, <laughs> he's actually a good guy. He's a good guy. Clara never really spoke ill about the marriage around this time, but she did complain to a few friends that Herman had a tendency to be very pushy about sex. Interesting. So with this new family, Herman decided it was time to go back to school and earn a degree. After all, his passion was for medicine. Clara had agreed to support Herman and their son while Herman went through his schooling, um, and he went to Burlington, uh, Vermont, to the University of Vermont, which was a few towns over. It's about a two and a half hour drive now. So four hours, probably, if you're going to be horsing it or hiking it. Which is funny. That's like a few towns over and it's like another state. That's so cool that he could like just travel like for the day, like to another state. Like, we can't well, do that in Texas, everyone. It wasn't for the day. <laughs> for school, though. No, oh, he stayed. In he school. stayed there. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, Essentially, you could travel for the day and come back. It's, it's literally just like, like, the closest beach to where we live is still two and a half hours away. It's right. not even two hours. Yeah. <laughs> like, we couldn't get to anything in two hours. It's true. Yeah, so he he moved there to be there for school. Um, so he would visit the family uh, as often as he could. He would bring money and stuff like that, um, or rather, take money. Clara actually, um, to help make ends meet, became a... a she was like an alterator like she all she did alterations in sewing he would kind of come into town and like help out with the baby for a little bit but mostly ask clara for money because she also had a well-off dad Yikes. and then he would just go back to school hmm. yeah and she was just like cool with that i don't know if she was cool with it but it happened <laughs> Right. I mean, Fair enough. she had a new baby, right? I mean, yeah. she was like, oh, he's going to school to be this doctor. Like, he's probably, you know, I, it's a little bit for me to sacrifice now, but later yeah. he's going to have a really great career. That's true. After a year at the University of Vermont in 1882, he transferred to the University of Michigan, which at the time was the only university to have its own campus hospital, which I thought was really huh, cool. that's interesting. 
So Clara ended up moving her and the baby to Ann Arbor to be closer to Herman. However, within the year, the couple would split when Herman started showing signs of being physically violent towards her. Oh, no. Yeah. There's the poop. There's the poop. So she would move back to New Hampshire, and while Herman made a small attempt in writing and supporting his family back home, eventually the correspondence would dwindle into nothingness. Okay. So while at university, Herman began to work on cadavers, which fed into his obsession with human anatomy and death. There it is. During his stay at the university... Herman found himself broke and without much money. After all, medical school is expensive. And his wife was, wasn't there anymore to no, give him money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he wasn't bumming off his wife and his father-in-law. During this time, a smallpox outbreak had kind of taken over the area he was living in. So he came up with a scheme to make money off of this. No. He went from door to door selling smallpox vaccines in advance to desperate people for cheap. No. Oh my God, what was in them? He didn't just, he like, just said, saline? No, he said, we're coming out with this vaccine. If you pay me now, I'll bring it to you when it comes out. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. And so he just took the money. And they just waited and he never came And he back. never came. That's sad. Isn't what that a sad? dick. Well, I mean, can you imagine, like, terrified people just stuck in their house? It's like COVID, right? Yeah. Like, just stuck in your house because you can't go anywhere because everybody has fucking smallpox. And That's then wild. you're, like, guaranteed that you're going to be protected and then somebody took off with and your money. you're not, yeah. So he was never caught doing this. And, in fact, it gave him the courage to continue to keep scamming people. Hmm. So the next ruse he came up with was a plan to use medical cadavers. Once they served their purpose at, on the campus, of course, he would mutilate the corpses beyond recognition. He would open several life insurance policies with several different insurance companies and then he would provide them with the bodies, saying that it was those people. And then he would and then collect, collect the money. Like, he would put it in his, like, he would be the recipient of the life insurance. Did he just, like, walk into the insurance place with, like, the body in his arms? Like, here See, is I the person. Because <laughs> that's the way it was kind of like. Here's your proof. <laughs> fed to me. Fed to me, you know? Um, but I don't know if there's, like, if he could make, like. I don't think he can make death certificates at the school. I don't know, because, like, I don't know. Maybe they had the death certificate at the school because they needed it for, like, the, for the research stuff. Yeah. I don't know. It's so weird. Isn't that weird? That's, like, scary. So he would claim that they were people that, like, weren't those people, though. Like, the bodies themselves. <laughs> like, a stack of bodies in, like, in the back of his horse, and he just, like, took it to other I... places and was, like, here's, like, <laughs> takes them off one by one, like, this is them. Bring out your dead. It was God, essentially like awful. that. Is what it sounded like to me. Um, I don't know how many times he actually did that. It made it seem like he was doing it like every other day. I think he only did it like three times. It's like an <laughs> abundance of bodies that yeah. he's just like pulling well, off. <laughs> I think yeah, because I mean they were getting. He was getting like a like a thousand dollars, you know, or two thousand dollars per body. I mean, <sighs> quite a bit of money. It's like yeah, this is this guy. It's like actually, I'm that guy. <laughs> So he did this a few times in the two years that he was finishing up college. He almost didn't graduate, however. At some point in 1884, Herman was accused of promising to marry a widow that claimed that he had asked her to marry him. And he was using this woman for her husband's life insurance policy that she was awarded. Yeah, I don't know why this would prevent him from graduating. Like, I don't know if it looked bad on the school. (laughs) Be- well, he was already married, too. He's already married to Clara. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know if it was, like, it looked bad on the school or they didn't want, like, the reputation of somebody that's being fraudulent yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Either way, he did graduate medical school in 1884. So by this point, Herman had decided that he enjoyed conning people, clearly. <laughs> so he moved to New York and became a principal, which is, like, the weirdest thing that you could become after graduating medical school. Yeah, what the hell? No, no. He became a fucking principal. While he was a principal at the school in New York, a young boy went missing. Rumors began to spread that Herman Mudgett was the last to be seen with the boy, although when interviewed, he said that it was true that the boy was walking with him that day, but that the boy had expressed that he had intentions of running away back to his home state of Massachusetts. Who does that sound like? Who was it? Gazing. Gazing. Um, He he just ran away. Left me a message on the answering machine that he was going to run away. But I deleted it. But I deleted that it. That crucial piece of evidence in this <laughs> one case. piece of evidence that could absolve me. Really, <laughs> I love that one. Once it was clear that Herman was not a person of interest, Herman himself decided to move almost immediately. He moved to Philadelphia and he began working in an asylum, although he didn't stay for very long. 
which makes me wonder if he thought that it might be an easy group of targets to, like, yeah. scam. But they're literally called wards of the state for a reason. It's because they don't have any control over their assets. Yeah. So I bet he went there. Like, trying to scam them, and then, like, he's like, wait, like, you don't have a say. It, yeah, well, I was thinking more it's like, he just thought that they were easy they were easy prey. Like, he could convince them because they're out of their mind to yeah. give them san- sign over assets or something. Hmm. But that didn't work. That's an interesting thought. So after he quit there, he started uh, working as a pharmacist in a local pharmacy. While working at this drugstore, a young boy was actually poisoned to death by ingesting something that Herman had given the boy. Again, Herman denied doing anything wrong, claiming that the boy must have had an adverse reaction to the to the medication that he couldn't predict. I'm sorry, you're a fucking pharmacist now, apparently, so how would you know, like... He was trying I guess to say it was, like, like an allergen or something. Yeah, that's... Wow. But, I mean, like, kind of a cop-out, like, kind of like a loophole, yeah. you know? So at this point in Herman Mudgett's life, he had scammed several people, ruined people financially, and potentially has had three victims in his very young life. Mm. He's only 24 at this point. Oh, Looking to start anew, Herman began to have dreams of starting his own business. So in 1885, he moved to Chicago and changed his name to Dr. Henry Howard Holmes. Shut the fuck (laughs) up. Everyone at the beginning of this podcast was like, Kenna, you're a fucking dumbass because you literally said, I thought it was H.H. Holmes, but apparently it's not. (laughs) No, but it it is. I know. That's what I'm saying. And I didn't know. That's okay. No, that's okay. Because honestly, I I didn't know that he had another name. I didn't either. Really. Well, nobody did. I don't think. I don't think anybody knows. Really. That is so funny. Well, you kept it together earlier when Thanks. I was like, I had two guesses. It was Jack the Ripper or AJ Holmes. And I looked at you and you like didn't even fucking flinch. And I was like, okay, I guess it's neither one of them. I felt my cheeks getting really hot because I was like. Oh my god. Oh no. Why are you so good at like setting things up like that? I just love it. It's was like one he of my... the lady? Was he the lady? <laughs> it's one of my favorite things ever. Ugh. That's awesome. Yes, y'all. We are going to be talking about H.H. Holmes. So immediately, H.H. Holmes found work in a pharmacy and began to work for a couple by the name of the Holtons, who owned the property and the drugstore that the drugstore sat on. Within months of working there, Dr. Holton, the owner, however, passed away under natural causes. Seemingly. Holmes was very dedicated to the idea of owning his own business, and with Elizabeth, the owner's wife, unable to tend to the store as much as possible after the passing of her husband, Mm -hmm. Elizabeth eventually would sell the store to Holmes and move to California. At least according to Holmes. Oh. Oh. No paper trail. LOL. Okay. So I'll just go ahead and give you the deets now. It was later determined that um, he did not kill or manipulate the Holtons um, into receiving the drugstore. The couple had actually retired and moved to California, and Holmes had actually worked to purchase the drugstore. So he didn't actually kill them. Wait, but the the husband died, though. That was the rumor, that he had died under natural causes. It was a rumor. So he didn't die at all? No, he didn't die at all. So what, okay, so everyone just, like, maybe he, like, isn't guilty of anything, and everyone's just, like, I'm telling you, this picture of him. This, all no, of I'm the kidding. research that I did, it was so convoluted. Everybody had a different opinion. Everybody had something else to say. I saw a piece of information that I was like, where did that come from? Because wow. I hadn't even heard that. It's just such an ancient story that a lot of it is, like, folklore. Yeah. Interesting. Although, so I, really quick, I, I thought you, I, the last couple of days, like, I thought you were doing Jack the Ripper. Like, I really did. Oh, really? But then, like, when I went to check the doors, it, like, dawned on me. Like, I walked right by your computer. I didn't look. Nothing was on your screen. I didn't look. But as soon as I walked by your computer, I was like, maybe she's doing H.H. Holmes. And, like, it just happened because I was checking yeah. the door. And it's so funny that, like, it was. Like, I thought about it last second and then sure as shit. That's so funny. So the business actually started taking off again under the care of Holmes now. During this time in 1886, Holmes met Murda Belknap. The two quickly got married. Mm. Again. <laughs> he got married again. Um, Did he elope? No, not this time. <laughs> However, Holmes at this time is still married to Clara. Let's not forget about poor Clara. Um, actually, Herman Mudgett is married to Clara. Oh, not H.H. Holmes. You're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> so Murda is married to H.H. Holmes. So Holmes wrote her, her being Clara, a note wishing that he divorced. He said, I want to be divorced to you now. Holmes then filed for divorce, citing that Clara was the one that was the unfaithful one. Even though he was trying to marry another woman. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? 
or she's, had already married yeah, another she's woman. She's unfaithful and I'm married. And I'm an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> and I stole all her money. Yeah. However, Holmes never finalized the paperwork for the divorce. So he kind of just like let it dwindle out. Like he had said, she's unfaithful. I'm divorcing. Well, they have to like investigate that. They yeah. can't just like take his word for it. So they had said that they didn't find any evidence of her being unfaithful to him. And they were like, what do you want to do? And he was just like, Buh. and then he just walked away. Procrastination. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Murda and Holmes welcomed their daughter in oh, 1889, Lord. and they named her Lucy Theodate Holmes. That's actually kind of cute. Right? Theodate. Theodate. Yeah, but I just think it's kind of funny. He's like, I'm no longer that person anymore. Let me name my daughter after my mother. That yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. My mother that I'm claiming is, like, abusive, abusive. and, like, yeah, a bitch. At some point in their relationship, Holmes insisted Murda move with their daughter to Wilmette, which is about an hour away from Chicago. Por qué why? I don't know. I guess he was like, let's move out to the country. And then she's like, okay. And he's like, stay here. And then he went back to Chicago. What? It's like, let me move you away from Chicago so that I can move back peacefully. Exactly. He was, I think it was also because he tried to claim that because her parents wanted to come live with them too. He was like, oh, let's get a bigger house somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Do you think that he like, it kind of seems like he like, is like trying to be like this, like seemingly good guy. So he marries the woman, you know, whatever. And then she gets pregnant and he has a kid and then he's probably like snapped back. Like he's like oh, shit, I don't want this. And so he just, like, leaves? You think that's, like... Yeah, it's it's very reminiscent of um, Raymond Fernandez. Like, he's using people. Yeah. I think is what it is. Yeah. And as long as he has his space and can do whatever he wants, he can continue scamming people. But, like, once he's married to someone, I don't think that he can really do... Like, he probably can't do that as often. Yeah. So he wants them kind of away. He's like, okay, you can leave and go ahead and fuck off now. Thank you. Yeah. Like, he hasn't had, a, had his Martha yet. Holmes continued to work in Chicago at the drugstore, and he was drilling, doing really well at this point. Uh, most notably around this time, Holmes began to sell this magic elixir, and he advertised it as the world's most potent mineral water. In fact, it was actually just water from the city's water supply. But awesome. it reminds me of Sweeney Todd, where it's like, the magical elixir, like whatever, with the little boy selling the stuff, Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh, that's reminding me of, like, the magical elixir stuff, where it's supposed to, like, make your hair grow, and make you attractive, and make you smell better, and, you know, yeah. doubles as a shaving cream, or, like, whatever. <laughs> it's like the chocolate from Spongebob. You put it on your skin, and it makes you live forever. <laughs> Ow. Jesus. Smacked my hand. <laughs> on the um, table. I heard that. Sorry, listeners. Ricochet. <laughs> anyway. Um, so nothing it's, special about this water whatsoever. It's yeah. just another scam, right? It's the, the, the snake oil kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But with a very good influx of money now, Holmes started looking towards the vacant lot across the street. Holmes decided to buy the lot and had an idea for a multiplex sort of a thing, which we see all the time now, but essentially it's the first story is all shops and then the second story is like apartments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he, he had this idea that he, you know, it was going to be this huge thing. So, with this idea, Holmes found plenty of investors, because it was a really cool idea, um, and he started calling the this area what would be the World's Columbian Exposition Hotel, which is now, we, we call it the World's Fair, that okay. happens in Chicago. Holmes was really excited about this. He started getting these investors involved, because he started calling it the World's Columbian Exposition Hotel. Like, it was okay. going to be the premier hotel for the World's Fair that was going to happen um, in just a few short years mm-hmm. from this from this time. So he began to lure a lot of investors in talking about this. So this, just to give everybody an idea of how big this, because this is the first World's Fair, mm-hmm. right? Um, it was a huge event. New York, D.C., and St. Louis had actually lost the fight to have it in those cities. That's wow. how big this was. Like, it was a huge, huge event. It started becoming this, like, big idea, um, and all the residents in the, around in the area started calling it Holmes Castle or just The Castle. Hmm. Once Holmes started construction, he would actually sign the paperwork for various companies working on the property in Clara's mother's name. What? Why? Yeah. Because, <laughs> so essentially, when it would come time to pay the bill, he'd be like, oh, just mail it to her. Oh, like, that's kind of funny. Don't bug me about it. <laughs> She's the one that has her name on the paperwork. 
Yeah. Jeez, what a dick. He just like doesn't care he, about it. No, <laughs> he doesn't. He loves scamming. It's like his favorite thing ever. Um, so working for Holmes was really unpredictable. He would hire a company to build a wall or two and then fire them. He would have another company come in afterwards and finish the project. He would never allow more than one team to work on one thing for too long. He would constantly have people moving around or switching companies, firing companies, hiring companies. That's the scam because then he doesn't have to pay them. Exactly. Partly because he could claim that half of the time the workers were doing incompetent work and then refused to pay for for half-completed jobs. But in actuality, Holmes kind of created this chaos on purpose to confuse people about the true layout of the house. Ew. That's really creepy. Notably, Holmes once bought a safe, like a gigantic safe, uh-huh. and he had put it on credit, right? Then um, he put it in a room that was like half built, and then he built the room around the safe, okay? Because it's a gigantic safe. When the collectors came to collect the safe, Holmes said they could take it, but under the condition that they don't damage any of his property. LOL. He's like, so, good luck getting that thing the fuck out of there. <laughs> without tearing down a wall, right? So he would get rid of this, like, he would do this often. He would do it with various types of furniture, too. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, of course, the collectors, realizing that they could possibly do more damage than more damage than the safe was worth, they would just walk away. They'd Jesus. absolve the death. That's, like, kind of genius. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of is. so bad. That's kind of genius. It's so cool. <laughs> Not cool, but, you yeah. know. Like, if someone did that in a movie, I'd be like, LOL. Yeah. <laughs> And he was like, damage my property, I'm going to sue you for it. It's worth more to them, you know, to not take it. Exactly. So by the end of its construction in 1891, the castle housed over 100 rooms. It had acquired a basement, making it three stories, where Holmes had a medical lab, quote unquote, a medical lab. Ew. It also gained um, secret chambers, hallways that went nowhere, trap doors, secret passageways, mazes, and stairs that led nowhere. That... Is like actually like making me nervous just thinking about that. It reminds me of this one episode of like Dexter that I because I've seen that show like a million times. There's like this really creepy maze like with this guy and he has like the horn like the mask with the horns on it and he like chases like he like abducts women oh, and like yeah. chases them around it. <laughs> yeah, he's got that so like creepy. chain link uh like holster thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that guy is terrifying. That's 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 the way this but on a grander scale. Yeah, because <laughs> that guy just had plywood. <laughs> Holmes had an asphyxiation chamber hooked up to <sighs> lethal gas, and he could flip a switch in the next room and watch them, because he had peepholes in most of the rooms. What? <laughs> asphyxiator. <laughs> the asphyxiator. Wait, he would actually kill people like that? Yeah. Like a gas chamber? Yeah. Like he's fucking Hitler? Yeah. And it was like- This a- is pre-Hitler, too. It was like a single room gas chamber, and he had a switch in the outside that he could just. And it had peepholes. He had an he had an adjoining room where he could watch them. That's a different level of fucked up. Yeah, this guy's fucked up. Well, clearly. clearly, wait. So when did he like immediately just start like moitering like a shitload of people? Like, um, like in the process of the castle being built, or but after again, it was complete. Like this is all hearsay. He, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a little too unbelievable. So it's like, is it real or is it not? Maybe he was just painted to be this, like, monster. Yeah, what if he was just, what if it was, like, a witch story? Like, he was just like, oh, that guy's a little creepy. I don't know. Because he has a wonky eye and he's smart. <laughs> Poor guy. And he, well, he did torture animals, that's a fact. He did so. That's <laughs> true. We at least have that. Many of the doors were locked from the outside only or would lock whenever you'd shut it behind you. Hell no. Yeah. <laughs> I can just imagine, like, walking into a room and closing the door and hearing it, like, click into place. Like, ugh. He also had a human-sized oven. Oh, my fucking God. In a room. No, he did not. He also had a, quote-unquote, trash chute that led directly into a furnace, burning anything that he tossed in there, into the basement. What the fuck is wrong with this guy? He had five doors in one room, most of them leading nowhere, and he had some rooms with no doors, or at least at first glance. That is, it's like, it's like Cube. Yeah. It's like the yeah. movie Cube. Oh, God, I love that movie. Oh, my God, Cube is so good. That movie so scared good. the shit out of me when I was little. Astronomical. <laughs> there were partitions that looked like solid walls, and he had doors with hinges that never opened. Ew. This place is, like, essentially the ultimate horror-based, like, funhouse. Yeah. It's really creepy sounding. 
He even had an alarm system installed to alert him when someone was in certain places throughout the castle. Because his room was a particular room, and he didn't want anybody to know where it was. Well, and his room didn't have any of that, like, murder shit in it. It's just probably like a not. normal-ass room. It's probably really nice. <laughs> probably had a fucking skeleton in there. <laughs> Several. So, um, yeah. So that's about the castle. Um, about the gist of the castle. Holmes had put out ads during this time the castle was being built because he needed to hire things like maids or servers, um, even retail tenants for the shops. Don't do it. It was rumored that he required each one of his employees to have life insurance policies. Of course he fucking did. But I didn't find any confirmation on that, specifically. One of the retail employees Holmes had was Ned Connor. He managed the jewelry store connected to the castle. Ned was married and had one child, Pearl, with his wife, Julia Smythe. Ned was no match for a successful doctor, business and property owner, and Julia and Holmes began having an affair while her husband worked for Holmes. Oh my gosh. Ned eventually found out about this affair after some time and decided to not just quit, but leave his wife and child. Yeah. So he moved away. A distraught Julia was now left as a single mother, and in order to help her out, Holmes suggested that she moved into the hotel and allowed her to rent an apartment for below asking price. Because he's still fucking money hungry, okay? Yeah, clearly. He's, he's like, I feel so bad for you, um, but you can stay at my place. You just, you have to pay rent. Yeah, seriously. And he's also, <laughs> like, probably rented the same apartment to, like, multiple fucking people. In November of 1891, Julia would announce that she was pregnant. Shut the fuck up. Holmes insisted that Julia have an abortion if he were to continue to take care of, bo- take care of both her and her daughter. That's fucked up. So... In return, he would actually marry her if she agreed to do this. What? Julia agreed to this, however, Holmes insisted that the procedure be done by him. What? Let's keep in mind he's not a fucking OB. No, 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 Yeah. By Christmas, friends and family of Julia and Pearl came to the doorstep of the hotel, wanting to spend time during the holidays, checking in with their friend and her daughter. When the family knocked on the presumed apartment belonging to Julia and her daughter, they were shocked to find that the apartment that was once hers now had new tenants. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, Julia and Pearl's belongings were sold off or were currently being used by the new family living there, including Pearl's clothing now being worn by the new tenant's daughter. Hell no. Absolutely fucking not. When they approached Holmes about where they might find the two, Holmes had stated that Julia took Pearl after she met another man which seemed plausible given the fact that she had already had an affair while... I mean, yeah. Yeah, she was with her husband. Around this time, Holmes had actually hired a man by the name of Charles Chappelle for $36, who was a skeleton articulator. A fucking course he was. <sighs> Charles received a body and agreed to work on it for Holmes in order to skin and dehydrate the bones for them to be hung uh, on display in his laboratory. Wait, wait, this was, like, someone that died... Like, did they give permission for their body to be dried out charles remembered this specifically because the body he received was a very tall female about six one no julia smythe stood at a similar height no holmes had actually smothered julia with the intention of keeping her and preserving her he had poisoned the 10 year old girl and later dissected her storing her within the walls of the makeshift medical lab in the basement that fucking escalated quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. After some time of keeping Julia's displayed body in his medical lab, Holmes eventually sold her skeleton to Hanneman Med- Medical College for a small profit. Do they still have it? I don't know. That's Again, this is just one of the accounts that I heard. That is wild. Isn't that weird? Did they know it was a real skeleton, you think, when he sold it? I mean, they had to have known. Well, they didn't have fake skeletons back then. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> They didn't. Duh. They didn't have fake skeleton. Do you know it was real? Just like, he no. also invented plaster. I was, just, I was laughing at this TikTok. It was like, it was not a TikTok. It was a meme. It was like this lady, and she was like, um, "How did people know what skeletons looked like? Like before, like, like a certain time?" And then she commented on her own post. It was like, "LOL, I forgot about dead bodies. <laughs> I forgot about dead people." <laughs> so bad. <laughs> That's fucked up, though. He saw, I mean, he, like, killed her and then had her on display, like, in his, her skeleton. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, apparently he didn't hang on to her for very long. Ugh. Emmeline Sagrande started working for Holmes in May of 1892. She was originally introduced to Holmes by a man named Benjamin, Benjamin Pitzel, who at the time was working for Holmes as well. 
Benjamin was very close to Holmes. They had worked together on various projects together, and Benjamin was almost like a confidant to Holmes. So when Benjamin started deepening his alcohol consumption, Holmes knew that his partner needed help. Mm -hmm. He didn't want him blabbing other people drunkenly, apparently, about Holmes' personal business. Yeah. So Holmes had sent Benjamin to a clinic to get help with his alcoholism. So at the time he was, uh, at the time during all this, there was apparently, like I told you about that magical elixir earlier. Yeah. There was apparently like a liquid cure to alcoholism that you would drink it and it would cure you of alcoholism. Oh, okay. So... I can attest to the fact that that does not work. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So essentially, Holmes' business was twofold. It's like, I'm going to get my partner sober, but also I need you to bring me back some of that cure so that I can bottle it and make it myself and then make a profit, right? It's all about the money. Either way, Benjamin did bring back a cure to alcoholism upon his return, but he had also spoken about a beautiful young secretary that worked in the facility named Emmeline Sagrande. Listening to the stories that Benjamin told about Emmeline, Holmes decided that he would start writing to the woman. Hearing that he was a successful doctor who owned his own huge property and his own business, Emmeline was swept off her feet, and then um, when he offered her a job as a stenographer with Holmes, she accepted it and she moved to Chicago. Why is he, like, like, there's no other women that are available to him? The only person he has to go after is the person that his buddy is, like, into? I don't know. Okay, so, yeah, so... I don't know if that's like a like a challenge or less than. Like is it does it does he think that he doesn't necessarily have to commit to the idea of being in a relationship with them? So he's just going to scam them off the top like and he's just a really nice guy because I'm already married and like he's a really nice guy, but like he's also kind of an an, uh, an enigma to some people because he's so rich and he's so successful and all this stuff, you know? And it's I don't know. I don't know. I used to know somebody that would only date, like, married women, which sounds awful. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it, I think it was because he couldn't commit. Yeah. And, like, he didn't have to commit. It was just he got all the fun stuff, you know? That's fucking so annoying. I hate people like that. Me too. Holmes wooed Emmeline quickly. He took her to the opera regularly. He bought her a brand new bicycle, which was, like, a huge deal in the yeah, late 1800s. Yeah, definitely. Especially for women, because it meant that you were, like, an independent person. And wealthy. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and, of course, he did end up proposing to her. Oh. He he's also- still married to, like, his last two wives? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> he also claimed that he was actually an English lord and that he had famous parents in London, and one day he would move there with her. My fucking God. <laughs> the last time that Emmeline was seen alive was Christmas 1892 by a neighbor in the building, oh Miss Lawrence. She says about that day, quote, The day after Miss Sagrande disappeared, or the day we last saw her, the door of the Holmes office was kept locked and nobody went in except for Holmes and Patrick Quaylan. About seven o'clock in the evening, Holmes came out of his office and asked two men that were living in the building if they would help him carry a trunk downstairs, end quote. A few days later, on January 2nd, Holmes returned to the shop that Charles Chappelle owned with a body and a trunk containing a young woman. Her torso had almost no skin on it, including her face. She was unrecognizable. Oh my gosh. The body was processed and then was also sold to a medical school. This guy, Charles, isn't like, yo, where are you getting these fucking bodies? (laughs) So, no, like almost kind of because it wasn't, it wasn't too abnormal for doctors to be studying cadavers. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, he was probably like, I'm going to sell this skeleton, you know, to a whatever. Um, He had done it before in college, which I didn't put in here because I just plum forgot. But um, he would actually, he would sell cadavers to medical schools. He was already doing it in medical school. He was actually going to, um, he was grave robbing and he was stealing corpses and he was selling the bones. Oh, Jesus. But like... The ones that he's given to these Charles guy, like, both of them have had their faces, like, completely mutilated, so, like, you can't tell who they are. Like, that's not fucking ringing any bells? That's, like, like sounding any alarms? Probably not. That's what he All did. Right. He was a skeleton articulator. That's All what right. he did for a living. He's probably just, like, don't ask, don't tell, honestly. Probably. And he's he's probably getting a pretty good pay, pay cut from it. When her family got concerned that she had, that they had not heard from Emmeline, especially after the move from L.A., because she had moved from L.A., mm-hmm. and then she got caught up in this fairy tale so quickly, 
Holmes insisted that Emmeline had cheated and eloped with another man, moving on yet again to another state. He claimed that he had been in correspondence with Emmeline previously, referring to her as Mrs. Phelps now. Oh my god, what an arrogant fuck. He just made up the story. And he's like, also making up again that she cheated on him just like he did with his ex-wife. With Clara. After some time and with no evidence, the family had to accept that they likely would never see Emmeline again. So awful. Holmes was in the business of finding a new secretary now. (laughs) Minnie Williams had known Holmes for some years now, um, but she had been living in Boston. She was the daughter of a large property owner in Fort Fort Worth. (laughs) Oh, Fort Worth, Texas, and eventually inherited um, this family property. Spending more and more time together while working for him, Holmes told many of a man that he knew by the name of Alexander Bond. Alexander Bond. Alexander Bond. Alexander could take the property that she owned and essentially double its worth, making a butt ton of money from Minnie. So Minnie signed over her property to Alexander Bond. However, there was no Alexander Bond. And it was H.H. Holmes Bond. It was actually signed to Holmes. (laughs) Jesus. Holmes had actually signed off on an apartment for Minnie while she was staying in Chicago, and he was essentially paying for her rent while she was living there. Okay, that doesn't matter because he's making so much fucking money off of her shit that he just scammed her out of. Yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah, I'll just go ahead and pay for your rent. Yeah, exactly. He's doing her a favor. Throw you a bone. (laughs) Sweeping Minnie off of her feet. That was stupid, sorry. (laughs) Sweeping Minnie off of her feet. Holmes married Minnie, or at least they had a ceremony. Holmes never actually filed the paperwork, keeping in mind that he's now both married to Clara and Murda. Procrastination. <laughs> and Emmeline. <laughs> well, he had proposed to her, but he had never oh, married her. He okay, killed her before he could do that. Minnie was very close to her sister Annie, and when Minnie started getting concerned about some of the choices that she had made regarding the property, the marriage, and the finances in general, she began to write to her sister about her worries. Upon hearing this, Holmes asked Minnie to invite her sister to come visit so that Annie could see that there was nothing to worry about. A twofer. Plus, the World's Fair was going on at this point, and he suggested it would be an exciting time for her to come and visit. All expenses all expenses paid. Huh. Annie came into town and stayed at the hotel. On July 5th, oh 1893, Holmes asked Annie to come into his office. Once she was in his office, he shoved her through a door into a dark, small, cold room. She quickly realized once he shut the door behind her that she was actually stepping into a vault. A what? Like a vault. Like a safe. Like a big safe. Uh, a vault. Okay. Holmes then pushed the slot of the safe open and shoved a vial of gas into it. No. He waited until Annie became quiet to leave to retrieve her sister, Minnie. He traveled to the apartment he rented for her and brought her back to the hotel. It was the last time that Minnie was seen alive. A few days after Minnie was last seen, the apartment she had was cleared out by some men that were hired by Holmes. Yep. So that was, like, absolutely fucking planned. He's like, oh, yeah, have your sister come up here. That'll be totally fun. We can all hang out together, and, like, it'll be great. So becoming paranoid, Holmes decided to lay low in Fort Worth, Texas. (laughs) He's saying it like (laughs) You gotta ask mom. (laughs) Holmes decided to lay low in Fort Worth, Texas on the property. So he's super paranoid at this point. He just killed two women in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, And he had inherited that Fort Worth property. So he decided to run there, which is kind of funny. Because, like, I feel like today it would be like, where would this criminal be hiding out? At the property of the person he just fucking killed. That he just somehow managed to, like, get in his possession, like, a week ago. Exactly. (laughs) So literally he just abandoned his castle at that point. Um, which I'm sure it's being taken care of, managed by certain people. Whatever. Um, yeah. So, not before yet marrying another woman named Georgina Yoke. Jesus uh, Christ! Georgiana, I'm sorry. Georgiana Yoke. He married her, like, (laughs) after he killed Minnie, but right before he moved to Fort Worth. So they had known each other for some time, and I think he was, like, maybe, it might be one of... Might be one of those asset things where he's like, marry me real quick and then I can just claim that you own my assets. And then he left. Oh. Is my opinion. Well, he's a fucking annoying. Yeah, of course. (laughs) He committed various crimes to kind of keep his head above water while he was in Fort Worth. And he eventually got caught stealing and he was jailed. His cellmate was actually infamous Wild West outlaw Marion Hedgepeth or the debonair bandit. 
I have some other ones. You want to hear them? Yeah. The Handsome Bandit. The Montana Bandit. No. And the Derby Kid. The Derby Kid. And that sounds like a bull. Like a name of a bull in a rodeo. <laughs> I had to include those because I know you like aliases. It's They're so, so good. They're the so Derby funny. Kid. The Derby Kid. Oh my gosh. While in jail, Holmes told Marion that he had planned on faking his own death and collecting a life insurance policy of $10,000. Oh. Exchange rate? I didn't yep. do it. Oh. I didn't do it. $327,485 today. Okay, so 300000 So he had told Marion that if he could hook him up with a good lawyer that he could trust, he would reward Marion with $500. Oh. Marion agreed and got Holmes in touch with Jeppa Howe. Howe also agreed to help Holmes with the scheme. However, the insurance company refused to provide the life insurance when they get, got suspicious. Of course. Uh, yeah. Duh. <laughs> That's how that fucking works. Broke again and getting frustrated, oh Holmes my God. wrote to his old partner, Benjamin Peitzel, right? Okay. Remember Be- Benjamin Peitzel? He's mm-hmm. the one that introduced him to the secretary. He offered for Benjamin, his wife, and their five children to come live with him in Fort Worth. Benjamin had a wife and five children. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> Well, it made it seem like he was hitting on the secretary lady from earlier, but he kind of wasn't. It was just that she happened to be there. And yeah. he's, and then Holmes is the one that got obsessed. One, <laughs> Benjamin had a wife and five children, by the way. <laughs> by the anyway, way. disclaimer. Once there, Holmes told Benjamin about the scheme and asked both Benjamin and his wife if they too would go along with the scheme. They did agree, and Benjamin's wife took out a life insurance policy on her husband, Benjamin, using the alias B.F. Perry instead of Ben's real name. They, um, so the life insurance policy was supposed to be for that $10,000. Okay. So after that, they would stage an accident that was supposed to be held in Philadelphia, I guess just because they wanted it to be distance. <laughs> Random enough. as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, of course they would disfigure a cadaver that would take the place of Ben. Okay. Thinking that her husband would be on his way to Philly, Holmes couldn't wait any longer for the payout. Holmes held a chloroform rag over Benjamin's face no. until he passed out. He then burned him alive using benzene and turned him into the life insurance policy company. Yeah. What happened? His wife, did his wife know? No. She thought that they were on their way to Philadelphia. Oh my God. And so he killed so him awful. and then turned in his body anyways. Yeah. So like, it was essentially like, this was the man. We were just here, here. Is, yeah. <laughs> hours earlier <laughs> signing a life insurance policy and now he's dead. And then he spontaneously combusted. <laughs> yeah. <and> now- <laughs> Can I collect, please? Yeah. I'm, like, here, it takes I'm here for days his wife's effect. money. <laughs> yeah. God, it's awful. Ugh. Yes. So, that's terrible. Yeah. So he passed out, and then he burned him with the that's benzene so awful. to death. What a dick. You know what I was also thinking? Like how far, like, science has come, like, nowadays, like, you could never get away with, like, bringing a cadaver for life insurance and be like, this person's been dead for, like, four years and they <laughs> yeah. have embalming fluid yeah, in there exactly. or whatever. Like, they look great. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the hell? To cover up this crime even further, Holmes told Benjamin's wife that he went into hiding after the success of the... Oh, my God. Whatever. The and life she was insurance like, thing. was, like, cool. And she was just like, oh, Okay. I guess she doesn't know how long it would take to fucking travel to fucking Pennsylvania for, yeah. to Fort Worth, Texas, commit a crime, and then come all the way back, you know? Yeah. Because he would, I mean, it would have to be local, I guess, unless the insurance company was in Philadelphia. That makes a little bit more sense. That's true, yeah. Paranoid once more, Holmes decided to take off to Canada, convincing Peisel's wife to bring the children along. He actually convinced the mother to allow three of her five children to travel with him, Alice, Nellie, and Howard. No. Along the route to Canada, Holmes swindled as he went, but traveled separately from Peitzel, stating that it was safer that they travel separately in case one of them got caught. Because they both the are wife. in the... Yeah, because okay. they're both in the scheme now. And she still thinks what's with her husband. She thinks that he's in hiding. Now all of them are going to go into hiding, and it makes sense to split up the children because she doesn't want all of her children to be in custody, potentially, if she gets caught or vice versa. So she just, what, like, chose her favorite? And we're like, okay, stay with me. She and kept the baby baby. She kept the baby baby because it was a baby baby, and then she kept the eldest, I guess, to, oh. like, help her. Yeah. It was unclear of what kind of treatment the children had received under the care of Holmes, but what mm-hmm. we do know is this. He attached a hose into a hole that he had created in the lid, and he gassed the girls while they were in the trunk. Oh so he attached gosh. the hose to the gas. Do you when, know how old they were? 
No, it didn't say. Oh, my gosh. When the girls were eventually found buried on the property of the rental house that they stayed in, detectives found that Nellie's feet were actually removed, likely because she had clubbed feet, and they suspected that Holmes removed them so that it was harder to identify her. Yeah. Keep in mind, the mother mother also doesn't know this because she's also traveling separately, although they're traveling kind of parallel. Okay. So they're kind of always near each other, but they don't stay in the same places. Yeah, she has no idea. He still has one child left with him, though, right? Yes. The caravan continued back into the States and settled in Indianapolis for a night. Content warning. There, Holmes murdered Howard by poisoning him. He proceeded to process his body to cover up his identity removing the boy's teeth, and burning him beyond recognition. Oh, my God. That's just like a... When I heard that, I was like, ugh, ugh, ugh. That's so sad. Meanwhile, in a Texas jail, Marion was waiting for his payout, which never, never came. Yeah. Um, infuriated by this, Marion actually ratted out Holmes, giving detectives details of the crimes that Holmes intended to commit and where they might be able to find him. Mm-hmm. Starting with the Fort Worth house, they found signs of fraudulence began to tra- and began to trace his tracks, Holmes would eventually be found in Boston in 1894. He was arrested for stealing horses. Oh, my God. And the thing is, is, like, with the children, like, you know that he was like, oh, it's best if we split up. And then he was like, I'll take these three children, like, with full intent that he knew he was going to kill them. Well, and it was also, again, it was one of those reports that I had heard that the children started asking, like, where's dad? Where's dad? Where's dad? Where's dad? And he was like, great, these children are witnesses, essentially. Yeah. So I think that he was taking out as many as he possibly could and then would eventually probably kill um, uh, Pitzer's wife. And his other other kids kids. if he could, yeah. God, it's awful. What a dick. After he was in custody, detectives searched the castle for more evidence of his crimes. Although they have never fully been confirmed, after the investigation, it was determined that Holmes may be responsible for six more disappearances around the castle. Oh, my God. Dr. Rustler had an office in the castle and disappeared in 1892. Kitty Kelly was also a sternographer for Holmes and disappeared as well. John Davis left his family a note saying that he went to the World's Fair and stated that he intended to stay at the castle for lodging. Henry Walker worked for Holmes, saying that he trusted Holmes enough to have his life insurance beneficiary changed to Holmes while working for him. Oh my god! It is unclear if this letter was authentic or if it was somebody posing as Henry. Yeah. Milfred Cole received a letter in the mail in 1894 to come to Chicago and work for Holmes before she disappeared. Lucy Burbank's pocketbook was found inside the castle, hinting that she wouldn't leave it behind, therefore she never left. Yeah. Although a full number is never known, given witnesses, reports, and timelines, there is estimated to be about 20 to 200 victims that are potentially murdered by Holmes. 20 to 200? Holy shit! Mostly because the World's Fair attracted so many people. There's just yeah. no way to tell how many travelers came and went through the castle. In October, Herman Webster Mudgett, a.k.a. H.H. Holmes, was convicted of murder of Benjamin Peitzer and subsequently confessed to murdering 27 people. Oh my gosh. Holmes was actually paid $7,500 to give his confession exclusively to a local newspaper. That's like... But like, like you're, you're not going to be able to have that in jail. But you're... Yeah, Exactly. He was sentenced to death by hanging, so, yeah. In a twist of irony, Holmes had asked that when he was to be buried, he wanted to be ten feet down and covered in concrete, as the idea of body snatchers stealing him and dissecting his body was way too much for him to handle. Oh, that's so sad! Oh my goodness, he just chopped his penis off while he was alive and then intentionally desecrated his body. No, that's fucked up, but... That, like, seriously? you. So your biggest fear is someone doing to you what you've done to so many people. Wow. Concept warning. How poetic. In an even bigger twist of irony, on execution day, Holmes's neck did not snap. Hmm. He instead suffered for close to 15 minutes before he was ultimately asphyxiated. Good. Which is also, again, ironic because he fucking gassed people and he smothered people. Yeah. He was buried in an unmarked grave. He was 34. Patrick Quinlan, which was the man that had said that that one witness saw him going in and out of Holmes's office that day that mm-hmm. Emmeline was last seen, um, he actually committed suicide years later by uh, strychnine poisoning. Strychnine? Mm. I think that's how you say it. I think that is, yeah. He left a note next to him simply stating, quote, I couldn't sleep, end quote. Oh, that's really kind of sad. <laughs> it's really fucked up. 
In August of 1895, the castle mysteriously caught fire after there had been some discussion of turning in the castle into a museum or a memorial. Oh, hell no. Fuck that. So I think, honestly, they, there was, like, reports of two people around, like, 8, 9 p.m. running from behind the scene, and then the castle was engulfed. Good. What the fuck? Why would you want to make that, like, a museum? It completely decimated the second floor conveniently, and the building would eventually be demolished in, in its entirety in the 1930s. Oh, wow. In 2017, an Sorry. unmarked grave was unearthed to test the theory that Holmes had, in fact, blackmail or hired someone that looked like him to take his place in prosecu- prosecution and execution. The body was still preserved exponentially well. The body still had clothing covering it, and even remnants of a mustache adorned his face. DNA from the body was tested against a known great-grandchild of Holmes. It was positive to be Herman Mudgett. Don't worry. I was literally going to be like, shut the fuck up. He's still alive. No, he's not still alive. Oh my God, that's scary. But again, one of those rumors, like he made so many people believe so many things. So many people did just believe things about him. It's true. Like, what if that was it? Like, what if he had, what if that wasn't him at the trial? What if he had hired somebody? That's why. He was known to do it. He was reburied and his remains remain in the Holy Cross Cemetery located in Delaware County, Philadelphia. So our story is over. Well, there are some people that are out there that do believe that H.H. Holmes is actually another famous killer, perhaps Jack the Ripper. Did you know this? I did not know that. I just got full body goosebumps. But Jack the Ripper was really prevalent in London. But he's an English lord. He's an English lord. Oh my god. You okay? <laughs> just got like the biggest <laughs> chill. And then I heard some noise. It was my foot. <laughs> but he was oh an English lord. God. And he... That was scary. I literally just got like, like the biggest chill in the world. Like that was really <laughs> creepy. Go ahead. <laughs> he had vowed to take What's-Her-Face to London to go meet his family. That's right. So Jack the Ripper... Um, this was 1888 to 1889. Just one year, the streets of derelict London were terrorized by a man, by a man who would slay women in the streets. Mm-hmm. Jack would strangle his victims so they couldn't shout out, and he would mutilate the bodies. The mutilization was done so precisely that investigators determined that the culprit must have had immense medical knowledge. Yep. In at least three of the victims, some of the organs were removed entirely with surgical skill. Mm-hmm. It's also known that um, back then, the only way to get to the UK was by boat, and it took close to a month. But there is a gap in H.H. Holmes's timeline. Jack stopped killing in 1889, but Holmes started killing in late 1889. So he, Jack stopped early, mm-hmm. and he started late in the year. So it would give him enough time to travel back. Yikes. And this would also be while the castle was being built. So where did he stay during that time? Yikes. Right? Yikes on bikes. So it is plausible. Um, That's so funny because I mentioned fucking both of them in the beginning I know. of this episode. You're so funny. <laughs> There's even documentation saying that an H. Holmes traveled to the UK during this time as well, although Holmes is a very common last name. Yeah. Many composite drawings of Jack the Ripper look eerily similar to Holmes, although what man didn't have a mustache back then? Mm-hmm. Lastly, his writings. Jack's handwriting samples have also been studied by linguists who suggest that Jack is actually American, based on his spelling and phrasing. So, reasons that it wouldn't be Holmes. Jack killed prostitutes. He was known to do that potentially for sexual gain, while Holmes was much more money-focused. Yeah. Jack seemed to have tacked opportunistically, like walking down the street. When he could. And Holmes was in a house. And methodical. And methodical. Exactly. He thought about those crimes and Holmes was for the long game and Jack was for just the moment. Yeah. So, but uh, many suspects have been named, but no one has officially been identified as Jack the Ripper, but we do know that H.H. Holmes is dead, so. Yeah. And like, that may actually like might be like he, maybe he like went over to the UK and spent time there and was like went on this kind of frenzy, if you will. And then when he was like, okay, when I go back home, like I got to control myself. Like I can't be doing that shit over it. Yeah. It was like a full on vacation. Isn't that interesting? That's really interesting. I actually, I know it's a wonder why, like, earlier when I was thinking Jack the Ripper, that name popped in my head, because mm-hmm. I've probably heard the comparison before that yeah. it might be him, but 
And really good, really good story. Interesting. I actually, I listened to an episode on Jack the Ripper. Um, it was like a four-part episode that Morbid did, mm-hmm. and it was really good. Elena is just amazing, and she's super thorough. Um, but it was like not that long ago. And so things that you were saying right now, I'm like, oh yeah, that does, I do remember that. I do remember that. But yeah. I've never heard a story on H.H. H. Holmes like specifically. So mm-hmm. that was really good. I, I liked Thanks. that. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of, it was interesting to research. Cause like I said, it is such an old case. Yeah. They said it's an, uh, a 19th century case with a 20th century spin. Like, because it's just so much information's been passed down and manipulated and talked about and what's real, what's not. Yeah. And um, it is. I mean, you know, even Jack the Ripper was the origin story of a lot of, like, vampires and Dracula and, mm-hmm. like, things like that. So it's not hard to think that somebody around that same time would have such a, um, I guess, like, an unclear history. Yeah, and, like, you know, of course, there's, like, urban myths and urban legends and things like that, and since it is so long ago, like, it's, you're right, it's a lot of hearsay, you right. know? Yeah, so I'm, like, I all, used like, a little bit out. of both. <laughs> I used a little bit of both, so you can determine what you think is true and what you think is not, so. Well, that was really awesome. I'm super glad that I didn't know who that was before going in it, because it was it really made everything, like, super, like, like whoa, like, the reactions are all genuine. <laughs> so. Now everybody knows that... Herman Mudgett is H.H. H. Holmes. Yeah, Herman that's really Mudgett wild. is his name. Wow, what a terrible name. I wonder why he changed it. I know. <laughs> My name's well, Herman Mudgett. Yeah, either way, uh, piece of shit, both of them, if they're two different people or if they're the same person. Pieces yeah. of shit. Uh, but that was a really great case. I definitely um, enjoyed having you guys here with us in spirits, just listening, even though we're talking just to each other. We always think that we're in a room full of people telling the story. Uh, thank you guys for continuing to support us. If you want to support us monetarily, especially through the holidays, you can go to our Patreon at Diagnosing a Killer, or sorry, patreon.com slash Diagnosing a Killer. You can follow us on Instagram at Diagnosing a Killer. I did want to mention real quick, someone commented on our most recent Instagram post and uh, corrected me. I had said Waterloo, um, Illinois when I was talking about the John Wayne Gacy case and it's Waterloo, Iowa. I think I mentioned later in the episode that it was Iowa, but that was my mistake. But we like when people point things out like that to us because I didn't even notice that I said it. And he even said like when it was in the episode, I was like, thanks so much. Like, I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we want people to reach out to us. We want people to, you know, give their input. It makes you feel good that people are listening and paying attention, you know, to what we're saying and catching things like that. I don't pay attention to you half the time. Yeah, I know. Sometimes I zone out, but it's fine. <laughs> um, but you can follow us on Instagram at Diagnosing a Killer. We also have Twitter at Killer Diagnosis, TikTok Diagnosing a Killer, and you can email us at diagnosingakiller at gmail.com. We will be back soon with another episode. And yeah, anything else you got? No. Okay. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.